This is Cindy Bowen at Rodney Pike Church of God teaching on the kingdom, the parables of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. This is session two of lesson two. And let's continue. God has always had the desire to bring man back into proximity and fellowship with himself. All throughout the Bible, you can see it from the time that Adam was in the garden and God was asking in the cool of the day, Adam, where are you? All the way to Revelations chapter 21, when God is dwelling with man forevermore. He's always after his creation, mankind, and the value that he placed on us and that fellowship with us is what drove Jesus, moved him, put him on the pathway uh, that led to the cross. It's the, the merchant man went on the journey because the value of the prize or the pearl is so great. And you know, we say that God is searching, but it seems almost an oxymoron. It seems too much to say that God, God could be searching for anything. He's God. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. He's ever present. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse 13 says that not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He is God. He can see all the way through us. He can see all, way, all the way into the very center of hell itself. Because that's who he is. He's God. David said in Psalms 139. Starting in verse 7. Where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven. You are there. If I make my bed and shell the place of the dead, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And if that's who God is, that there's nowhere that I could possibly go to get away from his eyes or his presence. He's everywhere, sees all, knows all. That's who he is. How is it that God would need to seek anything? I believe that God seeks because God, with all his power, with his omnipotence, has chosen to make himself vulnerable to us. He gave us a free will. Adam could choose whether or not he would eat of the forbidden fruit. We get to choose whether or not we want this relationship with God. We can turn God down. And I know that sounds crazy. But why, I mean, why would we do that? But people do it all the time. When they choose to worship lesser gods. And I'm not really talking about stone idols on a shelf somewhere. Though trust me, that kind of stuff really does still happen. I mean, when we choose pleasures and comforts over seeking the Lord, when we choose our own ways instead of his ways. How many people do you know that make their career first priority in their lives? Or maybe it's their kids that have all their time and attention 
Or maybe it's their children's sports activities. Maybe it's a wrong relationship that pleases the flesh, but not God. And forgive my soapbox, but there's a popular message out there floating around. And it's not really a new one. But it says that God just wants us to be happy and he doesn't really care how we live or whatever we do as long as we're happy doing it. It's the other side of that old religion coin. The one that says that all roads lead to God. We can get to God our own way. We don't have to go the prescribed way. I have to tell you, if all that stuff was true, then Jesus would not have needed to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. God wouldn't have even been paying attention to them. Folks, that kind of theology has to edit the red words of the gospel. They have to do something with passages like Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20. Jesus said, That which cometh out of a man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Seems to me like Jesus was saying that God does care about the way we live. And how about that woman that was taken in the act of adultery? Do you remember her? How the the scribes and Pharisees dragged her in front of Jesus and threw her down and demanded, what should we do with her? She was taken in the very act of adultery. Moses said we should stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? And instead of Jesus looking at her and saying, saying, go ahead, live any way you want. God just wants you to be happy. No, Jesus instead started riding in the dirt with his finger. And when the men wouldn't give up, but they pressed the issue, Jesus stood up and he looked around at them and he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And Jesus continued whatever he was riding in the dirt. And one by one, the men had to leave because they were not qualified at this point to start throwing stones. In fact, the only person left standing there that was qualified to throw a stone because he had no sin was Jesus himself. And instead of condemning the woman, he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. Go, but sin no more. Jesus said, sin no more. The life is not a free for all where we just live any lifestyle that pleases our flesh. God does care about how we live. It's not that he doesn't want us living our best lives, but our best lives are actually found dedicated to him. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. This is what it means that we sell all to buy the field. We lay down the right to live any old way we want. We choose to please God instead. And as for that every road leads to God thing, 
in John 14, chapter, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Not every road will lead you to God. We get to choose the path we take, but only one is going to lead us to heaven. Amen. God has made himself vulnerable to us, and so God searches. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well. The hour's coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is seeking. The merchant man is seeking goodly pearls. God intentionally seeks out those who will enter into a relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. We can't get close unless we come through that blood. He is, he is looking for those who will stand stained with the, the blood of the lamb and worship. And this was Jesus' mission statement even. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And I have to say that I qualified for him to find me. I was lost and undone without him. I don't know about you, but I remember the days before Jesus. And I didn't see myself as much of a goodly pearl those days. But praise God, Jesus got a hold of me. I'm not that person anymore. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I am a new creation. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm still in my process. I'm still on the potter's wheel. He's still working on me. So if you see my spots and blemishes, just please go ahead and tell Jesus on me. Let him do his work. I welcome the hand of the potter uh, crafting me into a vessel he can use. But trust me, that old girl before Jesus, she's long gone, buried in the baptismal waters. But to get back to our parable, the merchant's looking for the pearl. Starting again in verse 45 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. The Lord is the merchant man, and he left the glories of heaven seeking goodly pearls. But he found this one pearl of great price. It is exquisite, irresistible. Its value is off the charts. So much so that giving up himself was an acceptable price. In order to have it. Now let me read to you. What the Apostle Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 25. Husbands love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the world. The church. And he gave himself for her. Did you hear that? He gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spots or wrinkles or any such thing. That she should be holy and without blemish. It is the church that Jesus has given himself for. You church are the pearl 
of such great price that the you were worth the sufferings of Calvary. And you may look today at the church and say, are you sure? Because I looked at the church and I've been in it and I see some spots and wrinkles. I see some wrong attitudes and uh, maybe some politics even in the church. But what you're really seeing, those rock, those little spots and wrinkles, what you're seeing are a bunch of um, imperfect people still in our process, still on the potter's wheel. He's still working on us. And he's working in us. He is still perfecting us. And he is not going to stop until his work is done. Just wait till you see what the church really is. The church is the light of the world. It's a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's Matthew 15 and 4, 5 and 14. Sorry. The church is Jesus' beloved possession. The church is the bride of Christ, Revelations 21 and 9. It's the flock of God, 1 Peter 5 and 2, and the fold of Christ, John 10 and 16. It's the general assembly of the firstborn, Hebrews 12, 23. It's a family that spans all of earth and heaven, Ephesians 3 and 15. It is the building and husbandry of God, 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. The church is the heritage and the habitation of God, 1 Peter 5, 13. It is Jesus' household and inheritance, Hebrews 3, 36 and Psalms 2. It is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3 and 15. The church is the extension of the ministry of Jesus on the earth today. The church is valuable to God. The Greek word translated as church in the New Testament is ekklesia, or the assembly. At its root word, there it means a witness or a testimony. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ as the church. And isn't that what he said we would be? In Acts chapter 1, when he's about to ascend back into heaven... He told the disciples to to go back and wait in Jerusalem until the promise uh, came from the Father. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The church is God's plan for the message of salvation to be proclaimed throughout the entire earth until Jesus comes again. And God does not have a plan B for the reconciliation of mankind to himself. And he doesn't need a plan B. He has equipped us for the work of the harvest. Jesus has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church he is building. Amen. The church is God's plan and he planned for me and for you to be part of it. That adds tremendous value to us. To realize that God himself picked us out. He made us he made plans for us to be part of his chosen possession. You know, there are times in my life when I haven't felt all that valuable. But my feelings did not negate what God said. God's word always trumps my feelings. 
I am not what I feel. I am what I faith. We are the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of the saints. We're the called out ones. We gather together because Jesus called us out. Out of sin and into right standing with God. Out of sorrow and into joy. Out of death and into life. Out of darkness and into light. The merchant man has paid a great price to have us. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation. You are God's own purchased special people that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you hear those words I just said? Chosen, royal, priesthood, dedicated, purchased, special. This is how God sees you, church. You are not defeated by the darkness. You're not hiding from critics and influencers. You are putting God on display to a world that is running headlong into hell. You are proclaiming Jesus. Church, you are the pearl of great price. And if I could sum this up tonight. In these two parables in Matthew chapter 13. I see a snapshot of the kingdom. Jesus is the treasure we found. And he's worth selling out. Going all in. On our side we sell it all to have a relationship with God. But on God's side he gave everything to have the relationship with us. And no matter how much we give in this relationship. The Lord Jesus has given so much more. I've long said that. God's response to me is all out of proportion. He, I lift my eyes toward heaven and he's already looking at me. I bend myself down to pray and I find that he has already been close to answer me. I pursue God, but I find that he has been pursuing me all along. I reach for him and find him closer than my very breath. I engage God. And God engages me. This is not a magic formula. This is a relationship. It is love. Let me leave you with one last scripture portion. This is 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest where we are concerned. And that God sent his son the only begotten or unique son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed this lesson. We have one more to go in the month of October. Next week we talk about the dragnet.